Welcome back to our read out loud of The Truth is Told by Mason Buttle. We are on chapter 37, and it's titled The Big Pink Cloud. I am set at the dragon. I am full of something to say. I put my head down and start. Okay, today I'm thinking about light, shafts of light, because I got reminded about something, something Benny Kilmartin said, a story he told about that kind of weather when the clouds are dark, but then the sun puts stripes of itself down, down some holes in the clouds. Um, It's like beams, sunbeams coming through. Yeah, so Benny said those are pathways for people who die. The sunbeams are a way to get to heaven. So I wonder if the dead people have to lie below the shaft of light to get up there, or do they climb like a ladder? So maybe that's why a dead man would lie in a shaft, like the caves of Lascaux, dead man with the bird head. He could be waiting for the light to take him into heaven. Maybe Calvin will know that for sure, from his tablet. I stop for a minute, and I think this. My story is mixed up. Some of the things are in the past, and some are right now. It happens because one thing makes me think of the other. I guess that's okay. Better than being stuck. I talk again. So there's the lieutenant again, just the other day, at the crumble down, asking the questions. It's getting harder now, months going by, like my brain is not hanging on so tight the way it was before. Sequence. So, um, I wonder, what if I went back to that part again? And what I mean is the last part, when I ran in for supper. Trouble is that that part gets the lieutenant upset from that first time I tried to tell him, way back, there was the thing that made Benny laugh so hard, and what it is, how I skipped the ladder. I jumped down from the tree fort, like too much of a jump, the kind of jump that makes your arms go in a circle, because you took too much air, and you need some flying right about then. Only you're not a bird, so then something in you knows you better roll. When you land, roll your body, and roll out of trouble, and that's how it was. I did that, went rolling something wicked, my heels right up over my head two times, but I got up on my feet, standing again, had apple blossom petals stuck all over my head, head to toe, and then I turned around and saw Benny leaning out, watching me, and then he hollered to me, Mason, are you all right? And I hollered back, yeah, I'm okay. And then Benny, well, he laughed, enormous, And that laugh came out of his mouth in a big pink cloud, the color of raspberries, big puff in the orchard. And that's not the first time I saw some pink all around Benny Kilmartin, but it was the hugest, the hugest, because pink is the color of laughing, of joy, of a friend. I stopped talking. I grind my forehead into my potato fists. This is going okay. I should keep at it. I need to tell the dragon more. Um, so trouble is, that's the part the lieutenant didn't like, the pink. He doesn't think it's a true thing. It made him mad at me. Uh, So I don't tell him that part again. Um, yeah, I skip about the pink cloud that came out of Benny's mouth. Too bad, because that was the most amazing part of all the pink I've seen. So, um, anyway, a few times now the lieutenant asked me, all big and loud, Why did you jump, Mason? And the answer is because I'm not smart. The jump was too far. I tried to tell him that. 
tried to say what I hollered to Benny before I left, which was, don't try it. But the lieutenant was talking over my words. He said, wasn't it because you saw something that was wrong with the ladder? Isn't that why you jumped? And he wanted to know why I threw away a handsaw, the one that I had from my birthday. He wanted to know why did I toss it somewhere in the orchard, in a ditch? Well, I was thinking, why would I do that? And I said I didn't toss it, but maybe I did lose it somehow. And then he said, I bet you did. And that was another time when Uncle Drum said he was, that we'd talked enough. And then the lieutenant asked me if I wanted to know why Benny fell. And I said, yes, I figured he saw the puzzle, but um, he said something else. He said there was a weak rung on that ladder and that it broke. And he says, I probably already knew that, but I hadn't. I'm pretty sure I built the ladder right. Apple ladder, a pretty tall one, eight steps, two nails in each side of those. I brought the wood, I bought the wood, and the nails brand new at Bischel's store. And then I got on it when it was done, before Benny, to check it out because I'm way bigger. So if it would hold me, it would hold Benny easily. So, um... <clears throat> Maybe I would have known when something went wrong with that rung, but I was not much for using that ladder because I'm pretty good at climbing trees and dropping myself down from the branches. The ladder was for Benny. So, um, well, and then the lieutenant asked me that same thing again. How did you decide you needed to jump down instead of climbing that ladder, Mason? How? I said I didn't need to jump, I just had. And then I said the same thing as before again. I said that it was not smart, jumping down like I did. That part of the tree is too high up. And I said nobody should try that. I tell the lieutenant that part every time, but he keeps coming back to ask. Chapter 38, The Chumpsky House The Chumpsky housekeeper is Margie. She watches us, close. She's not new in Merrimack. She's old here. She gives me a sad-to-see-you look, like she knows my story about my family living in the old crumble-down on Swigertown Road, how we have been selling off chunks of the orchard to developers, and how my best friend died. I know people feel bad about it. I used to see Margie at the diner all those years of Saturday mornings when I would go in with Uncle Drum, saw her at Benny Kilmartin's funeral, too, along with pretty much everyone. Used to be that most people in Merrimack knew most other people in Merrimack. Now I'm seeing her here. First time I met the Chumpsky house. We're here to make charcoal. Calvin learned it from his tablet. The way you do it is you burn some apple sticks. We've got plenty of those from the orchard. Calvin said, see that? I want apple wood and the universe provides it. I said, right. And maybe it was provided by my family too. The Buttles who came before me, the ones who planted the orchard, before the place even had a first apple season. Calvin said that I made a good point about that. Now we take the sticks, same size as fat pencils, just use the pruners, found those in the shed, and I know which branches to take. Straight up suckers. Uncle Drum used to say it. Those are robbing the tree, so they get cut out.
It is a lot of seasons now that we have not taken care of this. It's the suckers that are fat, and they've gone from green to woody. We peel the bark away, put the sticks inside the can. It's one that Calvin's mom saved, the kind from chicken broth. It has a few holes punched into it. We put the can in the fire. We built one inside the fireplace at Calvin's house. There's works. That's why we're here. We've got a fireplace at the Crumble Down, too. It's old. It's stone. But something is wrong there. Something in the chimney, I think. Margie stays close while we burn the fire. I try to smile at her. A couple times, she looks away both. It's the sort of sad to see you look away. Pretty soon, I get two feelings. Warm fire on my face, cold eyes on my back. I'm not sure why. The charcoal takes a pretty long time to be made. Hours. That's what Calvin read. It has to carbonize. That will take until the fire goes cold. So we let it burn for the whole afternoon. Calvin gets out pencils, paper, and a roll of paper towels for my sweat. We sit down at the ta- tablet and copy the shapes of that Arrakis and the dead man. We want to try to make them look like the ones in the caves of Lasco. Margie looks over now and then. She doesn't ask about the drawings, which is just as well. We won't have to say anything about the root cellar. She folds the Chomsky laundry and starts their supper. When I get up to go home, I go to my own supper and I say goodbye to her. I say, nice to see you again after so long. She nods, but it's small. I wonder if she knows that I just lied some. Seeing her did not feel that nice. I look at the fire before I go, red embers, and I tell Calvin, I can't wait until it's charcoal tomorrow. Chapter 39, A Bad Day in the Diner. I sit at the dragon. Mrs. Blinney is right about how this works. If I think about something before I tell it here, well, it comes out all smoother. The story feels ready, and it writes itself from my voice. So, um, I've been thinking, remembering. Here's what about. People used to be glad to see me, even though I was this big, sweaty kid. I think people liked me better before, like Irene at the diner in her hairnet. She always greeted me, smiling. Stuart at the griddle, too. And then we had a rough day in there. Not too long after Benny died. Both his dads were in the same morning Uncle Drum took me. A Saturday, I think it was. Andy and Franklin were at the corner table. And this was the first time I'd seen them after the funeral. I took myself right over to them. I said, hello. I asked how everything was at their house. I asked about the stone wall. I just wanted to know. Was everything still the same? Or, um, like, it was anything still the same? Because I'll tell you what, it didn't feel like it was. Not for me. I was missing Benny so much. I thought I could tell them. But Andy, he um, kept two hands around his coffee cup and stared into it. Never looked up. Franklin is the one who said it. Mason, please understand. We can't talk to you. It's too hard. Then he said I could leave them in peace. I thought about another kind of piece, like pieces of a pie, because there's that case full of pies in the diner, and my brain just um, took the wrong bus on that. But, well, he just meant to stop talking. Stop talking to them. He told me better if I go over to my own table.
I remember because then Uncle Drum came up and gave a tug on me. We went and sat down. But Andy and Franklin got up. They left their corn cakes full stacks. They held on tight to each other. Both their seat sets of shoulders were, um, well, they kind of got stuck in one doorway. Two grown men, so sad and shaking too. And Uncle Drum tapped the table in front of me and whispered that I needed to stop staring. But it was hard to stop because I needed to see them. And I know most of you wouldn't want to do this, but um, I wanted to let that sad part worm its way through me, getting it all over with, even though it was probably going to take longer than anything else in the world. I thought Andy and Franklin were probably the ones that missed Benny the most, like I did. I felt the same as them. So then, oh yeah, then on their way out, Andy's elbow or his hip, I don't know, but that caught on the gumball machine in the entry. And holy cow, you should have seen what happened then. I almost jumped up, but Franklin, he stopped and turned back and put that thing steady before it could fall. And then they left. Anyway, it was like that whole diner froze over, looked around the place. Everyone looked back at me with a sad to see you eyes. Sad to see you is not what people say, but they look that way. Now, so that night I heard Drum tell Grandma something. He said, having a broken heart is no excuse to break someone else's. Our boy is hurting too. He met me, their boy. But, well, funny thing, what he said, because tell you what else hurt. Uncle Drum quit taking me to the diner. He didn't say why. But seems like it was because if people were going to just be all sad to see me, then maybe it would be better if I not go in there anymore. So that is how um, I lost one of my places. The only I only see the diner from the bus now, and I only see it on the loop through town. Chapter 40, Disturbing. Calvin and I run into the crumble down from the cluster stop. We have banana milkshakes in the kitchen counter. Shailene comes out to bother me about a box that she thinks will come today, something she ordered, UPS. She says, will you be around, Mason? I can count on you to bring it in, right? I say, I could be, but I won't. I say, you've got your button boots on, Shailene. Go and meet Gerald yourself. He won't bite. And I think this, that girl needs to leave the house some because she goes all pale and sickly. Now she's cross at me. I don't have time for her, though. Calvin and I slide off the kitchen stools and head out. We check for the coast to be, coast to be clear. We look for trouble first, and then both ways for cars on Swigertown Road. Then we cross and go up Johnagold Path. We go to Calvin's house. Margie is running the vacuum cleaner. She nods at us, but doesn't shut it off to talk. Fine. This is a quick stop anyway, just to get the can of apple wood out of the ashes. Charcoal. All black now. Calvin fishes out one stick at, uh, um, Calvin fishes one stick out of the hole, gives it a pinch, and it smudges him up. He grins and says, yes, it worked! Carbonized! Then we can use it to draw a great, the great Arrakis and the dead man in the root cellar walls. He carries a charcoal can like it's a treasure, one hand on top, one hand on the bottom. We come back down from Johnagold Path, and don't you know it, there's Mooney. Curled up in that mousy chair on the porch of the crumble down. He stands up, front paws start marching, tail wagging so hard he'll looks like he's about to fall over. My heart goes soft. 
This dog, he's been waiting for me. He comes off the busted steps out to meet us at the Swaggertown edge of Swaggertown Road. Not a good place for a dog. So I take his collar just gently and call to him as we go. He comes. Now I have this worry. I want to be with Mooney. Don't want to be lonely. And he must feel lonely on account of how he comes up the hill on his own. But Calvin will want to be in the root cellar, trying out that charcoal. And part of me wants that too. I don't have to say it. Calvin knows. He says, think we can sneak the pup down without giving the place up. And I say... You mean bring him with us inside of you know where? He laughs and says, sure, but we don't even make it around the corner of the crumble down. Trouble comes first and fast. Matt Drinker is on the hill. I feel Mooney pull to a stop and Matt hollers. He says, Bottle, what do you think you're doing with my dog? Took him again, didn't you? And I say, no, I was just bringing him back away from the roadside. Lance Pearson hops up to the front, swings his lacrosse stick at Calvin. He hits the charcoal can right out of Calvin's hands, and there it goes, spinning up into the apple trees. It pings off a limb and lands in the grass, and there's Calvin, mouth open, hands empty. That's bad, but I know what is worse. Worst thing is, about five or six more lacrosse kids who come up the hill behind them. Not because they'll join in. No, it's usually just the two, but Matt will make a show of this. He usually does. He throws down his stick. He comes after Mooney. I step up front. Dog goes back behind my legs. I'm looking at Corey McSpirit, but he's not around. Matt shoves me back, grabs Mooney's collar in a twist. A choke is what. He starts in on him and says, bad dog, bad, bad dog. And it's awful. Mooney goes low and licks his lips. And then Matt lands a smack on the poor dog's head. I step up again and say, hey, Matt, hey. He jerks Mooney back by the neck, swings him to the side. Mooney's feet go up fast, stepping left, stepping right. I hear a small cry out of him, out a bark, more like a mew from a kitten. And I tell Matt, hey now, it's not his fault. Just be nice to him. Come on, Matt, please. If Matt listened, he didn't. Matt says, if you don't like it, then quit getting him out of my yard, butthead. Because this is what he's going to get from me every time you do it. And then he hits Mooney across the nose. The dog goes low, eyes blinking. And then there's a group grunt from those lacrosse dudes. Then a lot of quiet. I'm thinking and thinking. Inside of me is boiling and tumbling. I don't think anyone likes seeing this. Seeing a kid be bad to his dog. But no one steps up to say it. I want to tell Matt he's dead wrong. But I don't want to make this worse for Mooney. So I say, okay. Okay, it won't come for him, Matt, but be easy on him. He's a good dog. He's a really good dog. Matt says, no, he's bad. Then Calvin puts his small hands in the air, voice up loud, and says, Matt, I get how you feel because you're basically an ignoble kind of kid. Lance Pearson says, shut up, fetus face. Don't try to be all nicey-nicey. We're not having it. Calvin smiles, just small, and then says, okay, then just listen. Matt, Mason didn't take your dog. We weren't even here. And we're certainly, we're not down at your house. Lance pokes his stick at Calvin and says, of course you're going to try to stick up for butthole. Calvin says, I'm vouching for him. Mason didn't let Mooney out. The problem here is that dog is smart. He knows who he wants to. Calvin stopped like he changed his mind. He reached down quicks and picks up 
Matt's lacrosse stick. And don't you know it, Matt lets go of Mooney. He jerks his stick away from Calvin. And I think, yes, Calvin is the smartest kid ever. Mooney scoots under my legs and I scoop him up, take a few steps back, holding him in my arms. And there we are, frozen in place. Funny thing then, nobody knows what will come next. Big surprise is when Uncle Drum shows up. He drives up with the truck, opens the door, and slides out. Mooney lifts his nose. The smell of breakfast is in the afternoon air. Uncle Drum looks at us as he makes his way over to the house. He puts his eyes on Calvin and sees me with Mooney, Matt, Lance, and the lacrosse dudes. And he says, hello, boys. Hello, Mooney. He goes into the crumble down and shuts the door behind him. I feel Mooney breathing, pant, pant, pant in my arms. And I think about the universe. It seems like Uncle Drum was our gift just now. It's not that he did anything. He just showed up. Matt says, put down my dog, Mason, right now. Calvin replies, let's walk him back. Let's all do that. That way, all of you will know that he's back home. And Mason and I will know that he's not near the road or some other bad thing. Calvin does not wait for an answer. Me either. We keep, I keep Mooney in my arms and we start walking. This dog is good about being carried. Paws flopping, ears too. The others follow. Matt shoves us along some. I can feel the lacrosse stick in my back. Lance Pearson takes his stick and tucks the basket up under Calvin's rear, lifts it up like he's putting him on a spoon. Tan, sandy shoes start hurrying forward. Mooney licks my face and Matt says, Disgusting, dumb dog! Licking up Buttle's sweat. Ew! There's a lot of gagging going on behind my back, like barfing, and I think this. Yeah, well... I don't care that I'm a gross out. At least Mooney's safe. At the drinker gate, I push ahead some. I want to see Matt's mom, and I want to know that Mooney is inside. I want to see Mrs. Drinker take him in herself. And she does just that. She is some surprise seeing us all there. The lacrosse players walk on by into the yard and start passing the ball. Mrs. Drinker, Drinker calls Mooney a Houdini. She says, You're going to have your hands full for Columbus Day weekend, Mason. I smooth my hat over Mooney's head and say, he'll be good for me. Calvin and I head off quick, close the gate. We leave Matt and the others on the inside. We start up the hill and Calvin whispers, be careful, they can still be watching. I say, yep, I know what he means. I won't give up the root cellar. I won't even look back at the place where the tractor is. Boy, it's hard to keep from going and doing that once your brain gets going on it. I say, the charcoal, let's find that first. I think I know where it landed. Calvin nods, me too. We both look behind us, over our shoulders, don't you know it. Lance Pearson sticks one arm over the fence and shows us his middle finger. We walk on. Up by the crumble down, we start the search. Comb the grass under the Mason Macintosh trees. We look for the can. Calvin's quiet. I ask him why. He says he's thinking about Matt Drinker. And I say, and Lance Pearson too? After what he did, knocking away the charcoal can? Calvin shakes his head. No, not so much about that. I can defend myself. I have a voice. But what Matt Drinker did to his dog, it's different. It's disturbing. I'll tell you what. Disturbing is a word that goes way inside, close to my bones. Chapter 41, Drawing the Arrakis. All right, we are going to stop there for today. I hope that you enjoyed that, and I will see you tomorrow. <laughs>